ways of doing that. And what I love about this morning, this is the talent of these men and women. Like, they're all over the place, right? Ruben's over there, and Jared was up there, and Nate was back there, and Dave was here, and then they're all doing different things. Just, can you tell I'm jealous? <laughs> I was wanting to be a rock star. Unconditional, it's an adjective with means no conditions or limitations. And I believe this is what the Bible teaches us about God's love for us, that it is unconditional. We just heard Kevin read what St. Paul said. Oh, I forgot to put up that one. Unconditional with no conditions or limitations. So Kevin just read for us what St. Paul said. So anything else in all creation can separate us, so that would include conditions. There are no conditions on this. We also know that Jesus said this, love your enemies. Now, enemies is the number one condition pretty much everybody puts on love, right? That's, that's the very first condition you can think of. No, I'm definitely not going to love my enemy. But Jesus said, nope, that condition doesn't even work. We also know that God died for us while we were his enemies, in the sense that we didn't love him, we didn't follow him when he died for us. We were his enemies. And we know that God died for us because he loved us. Right? So therefore, that is the essence of the biblical narrative. God's love for us is unconditional. And this can be found throughout Scripture. So in the Old Testament, the word most often used to describe God's relationship with His people is this word hesed. It shows up over 250 times in the Old Testament. Hesed. Here's the thing, though. It's an incredibly difficult word to translate, and there probably isn't an English word for it, which is why when you read through the English translations, even one English translation will have many different English words when hesed is in the original. It's just a hard one to understand. But Rabbi Kemsler suggests loyalty captures some of the meaning of hesed. Loyalty. Loyalty. And that makes sense, as loyalty almost certainly hints at a steadfastness, even in the face of betrayal. That's, that's what the deeper sense of the term loyalty means. Michael Card writes about Hesed. I, I think he does, a, he does a great job with this. He says, at the heart of understanding Hesed lies the notion that it is unmerited, undeserved, unearnable. And that is consistent with the idea of unconditional. You cannot merit this kind of love. There is no meriting it. There's no conditions to meet to be loved by God. God loves us. And in the New Testament, the word is agape. Most of us are familiar with this term. Well, Peter Kreef, the outstanding theologian, author, he teaches theology down at Boston College, right down the road. He talks about agape this way. What agape means in the New Testament is the love of God. The love that God has to us. And that love, mediated and explained by Christ, is absolutely egalitarian. Agape, or charity, is a scandal to reason because it means loving people not just in terms of justice or what they deserve, but simply loving them absolutely. Unconditional. And that's the, the narrative of the entire Bible. One of the things I love so much about what Peter Kreef writes here, if you caught it, that love mediated and explained by Christ. I love that. Not explained by theologians, not explained by pastors, or not explained by other Christians, but explained by Jesus Christ. Which, when we're willing to read the Bible, for the Bible, not for our own agendas and not for anything that other people have said, but let Christ explain it, you can't come away with anything but unconditional love. 
that's how Jesus loved. That's how God loved. That's the whole point of our faith. God died. There is no faith without God's love for us. Remember last week I said, Christianity without love is like scuba diving without oxygen tanks. It just, I don't know if it's still scuba diving. So, this summer, we've been in this mini-series, so I just want to bring everyone up to date. We have some visitors as well as people who have been in and out all summer. You can always get them online, Rich, Rich, Rich posts them. But here's what we've been looking at. Love. Living love. Living a transformed life that looks like Jesus Christ. Okay? As Christians. So, we started on Family Sunday in July talking about loving the least of these, and that's when we made care kits for the poor in our society, so we could practice loving authentically. Then at the retreat, Rich led us into a deep discussion about getting busy living, regardless of our personal circumstances. That living, and, and that living was really Christ in us, helping us live the way he lived, the way Christ lived. Christ lives full of hope and joy, despite the horrible circumstances of his life, and they, they were pretty horrible when he, he, he was around. I mean, he got killed. So, But he was full of hope and joy because he was focused on loving others. Then we looked at the prison that is self-absorption. The prison that is self-absorption and how the freedom God offers us is based on a selfless approach to life. An other-centered life instead of being focused on ourselves. Two weeks ago, we then shifted from loving others part of the commandment we went earlier to the love God part of the commandments. And we talked about what that may look like and how that really is the beginning of this mystery of transformation. We saw that order matters. If you were here, you remember that order matters. Loving God, then loving others. Loving God leads to a life of loving others. We can't just will ourselves to love others. It starts by loving God and in the mystery of that relationship, the power then is there to love others. Jesus had said, we looked at this, Jesus said, if you love me, you will be able to keep my commandments and will choose to. I added some paraphrasing there that we had looked at, because when we read scripture, we try to get that Hebrew mindset and understand it's indicative and not imperative. You start to get deeper into the truth of what is happening. And, and St. Paul sort of echoed this when he said the love of Christ controls us. So, if we're open and available to God, if we love God, if we put the greatest commandment at the center of our lives, we find we're able to love others. So, the greatest commandment is not only a destination, it's also the way, the only way to that destination. And then finally, last week, our other family service, we talked about all the pieces of Cana, we talked about church in general, and we talked about the most important reason for church to exist is to tell the world God loves them, and for us to get together weekly to tell each other God loves us. For God to tell us he loves us at the communion table, because that's really what the communion table means, celebrating his love for us, love that drove him to the cross for God so loved the world. So today I want to go back. I want to continue this. That last week was a transition to this week. We're going to go back to what really is the very first step in the mystery of our faith. And this summer at Cana, and in fact, I would, I would encourage you, if you haven't been here this summer, this summer's teaching from all, right through the family services to the retreat, to all the different teachings, this is foundational theology. It, it's really important and big to understand. So I would encourage everyone to go through what we have been covering this summer. So, 
God's unconditional love for us, I believe, is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the transformation of human beings, of redemption, salvation, transformation, and ongoing. So we saw a couple weeks ago that the real distinction between humanity and God is fear. We function out of fear, right? Fear drives us. It drives our personal lives and the things we do. It drives so much of the human story is fear. God doesn't function out of fear. God has no fear. Fear keeps us in our prison of self-protection. And self-protection is the antithesis of loving others. Think of anything you do that is not loving towards others, and if you're willing to spend time, and here, here's the thing, most of us aren't willing to spend time thinking about what's wrong with us. But when we spend time deeply meditating and thinking, why do I do that? Why do I act with fear? We're afraid of losing something. Fear. Fear drives it all. Right now, we're in the midst of a national dialogue that is nothing but fear-based. That's all it is. I don't know if politics have never not been fear-based, but it's fear-based. That's right. Entire national dialogue. Doesn't matter, I don't care, I'm not political at all. Doesn't matter what side you're on, it's all about fear. If you don't do this, oh my God, the world fear. We function out of fear. God doesn't. So here is where the redemption must begin and continue and end. And we're going to start Galatians in the fall, and we're going to look at that. The gospel is not the beginning of Christianity. It's the middle of Christianity. It's the end of Christianity. It's all of Christianity. And I think a lot of times, Christians don't experience this transformation, including myself, because we walk away from the gospel. Give me something more. There is nothing more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is clear about that. Jesus is clear about that. And if we could get back to the gospel, maybe we'd, we'd see some impact. And I think this is why God, through Jesus and St. John and others in the New Testament, always talked about being free. And said, perfect love casts out fear. So here's the thing. I want us to think through this. There's only one source of perfect love. Right? If perfect love exists, then it has to exist in God. Because I have never met anyone with perfect love. It doesn't exist in our human love. So it has to be in God. So until we grasp that, until we enter into this perfect love that God has for us, we'll always live in fear. Right? So it has to start here. It has to start here. But there seems to be two issues that keep us from assimilating this most spectacular of realities in our lives. And right now I'm seeing one of these issues in many faces sitting here. The first issue that I think keeps us from this is the human capacity to take things for granted. And I'm, I'm seeing it. I, I, and I don't blame you. I'm just seeing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, David. All you ever talk about is how much God loves us. We've been hearing this since third grade, David. That's what we do. It's unbelievable. It's limitless. I still remember the first time I ever saw the Himalayas in, in person, live. I was riding a motorcycle north towards the Tibetan border in India, and for what seemed like hours, I thought I was driving towards this massive storm. It was a cloud bank bigger than I've ever seen, and the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'm going to have to stop. But then as the miles clicked away and I got closer, I was like, oh my gosh. Those aren't clouds. Those are mountains. And it was the most magnificent, one of the most magnificent moments in my life. And I was like, oh, the Himalayas. And then as I spent time in that part of India, I stopped even looking at them. Stopped appreciating them. Ah, oh, they'll always be there. 
We're great at that, aren't we? We take things for granted all the time. And I see people who have been married for 30, 40 years. We take things for granted all the time. It's a human thing. However, I don't think it's problematic when we're talking about mountain beasts or, or you know, maybe music that we love or whatever. But I think it's very problematic on the important things, and I believe God's unconditional love is the most important thing. And that's why it's so problematic. We have heard about it so much, it's so familiar to us, we've lost the sense of its true magnificence. It's just like his crucifixion. We have heard about it so much, talked about it so much, it's just become another day in the life of Christ, ho-hum. There's nothing ho-hum about crucifixion. Horrific crucifixion. And think, I want you to think about the most epic movie you have loved. The movie that is epic to you, or the show that's epic to you. Like, the second or last Game of Thrones this season. Right? Just epic. And you need to see it again. That is nothing compared to the creator of the world allowing his creatures to crucify him. That's epic. And it's just another whole hum. Because we've heard it so much. We take things for granted. This is why I think communion has gone missing from so many churches. I've heard Christians say to me, they've said to me, well, I don't like to do communion every week because then it's not special. No offense, but if communion's not special to you, it has nothing to do with communion. That's our problem, not communion's problem. This should be, and I'm not saying this because it's Canaan. I'm saying this because... I, like I told you, if Cana goes away, there are many churches I will go to. My number one criteria for church, that better be the center of it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the point of Christian church without this? I, I just, I, I can't fathom that. And I think the reason it has gone missing is because of this capacity we take things for granted. I think there's other subtle reasons. I think it's been turned into a litmus test. I think it's been turned into, you know, the... the, the membership card. I, I think it's also a hangover from the Protestant-Catholic split. Protestants just hate Catholics so much they don't want to associate with them and we know Catholics break bread all the time. Yada, 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 yada. But at the very number one reason communion has gone missing is because we take it for granted. How? God died for us. But that's the human problem. This is it. So how do we get over that? Unconditional love is so spectacular, it's so redemptive, it's so transformative, we have to find a way to get beyond the whole hump, get beyond taking for granted and let our jaws drop open again. The second issue I think we have with this concept of God's unconditional love, and I think this is more problematic than the other one of taking things for granted, is maybe we have a profound misunderstanding or even a non-understanding of what unconditional love is. And I think this is really where the rubber hits the road for us. Um, and if there's any way I, 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 could, I could open my own eyes to this and open anyone else's life to this, eyes to this, this, this is sort of my life's work, trying to open my eyes to this and share it with others. See, we might grasp the concept of unconditional love with our intellect, but I don't think we really understand it because there's nothing within the human experience to help us understand unconditional love. Right? See, think about it. The, the human brain is such a computer, whenever we hear something or see something, our mind just, without us even knowing it, starts clicking through past experiences to try to make sense of what we're hearing or seeing. I just mentioned I lived in India for a few months 
adjusting to Indian life was crazy because the East is so different than the West, and my brain was like, I can't make sense of any of this. I, I didn't have any experience with any of it. So with unconditional love, I think this is what happens. We have such little or no experience at all, we don't know what to do with it. We honestly don't know what to do with unconditional love. So, for me, this is one of the reasons I believe in Jesus Christ so much. I don't think a human could have written this story. Without it being true, without God having died for us from the foundations of the world, therefore that's the God gene in us. I don't think it could exist, this story. God dying for us, loving us with unconditional love. It couldn't exist. But sadly for others, it's this very otherness, this, this complete alienness to the story that makes people reject it, including Christians. Because there are a ton of Christians who reject that God loves us unconditionally. So we make up a God that looks a lot more like us and has conditions. And has conditions. And, and by the way, this is also a precursor to our study in Galatians, which this is what Paul is firmly, fully getting us, trying to help us understand God's story in Galatians. And he's, he's not a happy man writing Galatians. He's so mad about how we've turned God into a human God that loves like us. He doesn't love like us. But let's face it, we get it. All of our human relationships are at some level conditional. Right? When we're honest, they're all conditional at some level. They're not supposed to be, I know, but they are. They are. Maybe sometimes as parents we exercise a little unconditional love, at least until we're exhausted, or cranky, or need our space. Or we've been ignored for the 15th then. 14 is certainly okay, but unconditional ends there. Right? I told you. Or early in our romantic relationships, it seems we're wicked good at unconditional love, doesn't it? But I'm not so sure that is purposeful, unconditional love. I think that's more starry-eyed refusal to see the faults. Or we're, we're in that intoxication of so in love, we'll do anything for them, and it really looks unconditional, but it's not at all, we're just drugged. And then the drug, then the drug wears off, like, why would I do that? Because you did it? Yeah. So, see, unconditional love is not blissfully ignorant or naive to the false. It purposely chooses to love regardless of the false. This is why Dr. Kreef called Christ's love scandalous. This is why Jesus himself said, my story is a scandal and you're going to stumble over it. And the saddest part about church, the church, the establishment of God, has spent 2,000 years in many places rewriting the Jesus story so we would stop stumbling over it. Instead of just letting it be the Jesus story and let us all keep stumbling over it. Don't turn Jesus into human. He's not. He's not human. He said, love your enemies. Not me. Not me. Believe me. I do everything I can to make a loophole around that. I would love God to be conditional. Because then I can turn into us and them. And I'm in Boston, and they're them. But God's not conditional. He loves us. He died for us. I believe God loves us this way. And this is why I believe if we can move into this, to know it deeply, and to have a profound awareness and sense of how magnificent it is to be loved unconditionally, to really trust this. That's the concept of faith, trust. It's not what we know. It's what do we trust. Do we trust it? why I'm often struggling with myself 
when I look in the mirror and I say, boy, I trust Jesus as God, and then I hear him say, do this, do this, do this, and I don't trust it. Hmm. So am I really a follower? Do I really believe? Do I really trust? I believe trusting God loves us unconditionally will change our lives. For I believe this is exactly what we all deeply, whether we acknowledge this or not to ourselves, we all deeply want and need to be known completely, completely, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything we think, everything we've ever done, we want to be known completely and loved perfectly despite that complete knowing. There's our deepest need. There's the profound human need. That's the holy grail. The proverbial carrot that we are chasing. We want to be known completely and loved anyway. Because then we can stop acting. We can take our masks off. Think about the person that you know loves you the most. Could they still deal with you if they knew every single thought that went through your head? Could you ever, is there a human being you could confess every thought in your head? So I think all these things we claim we really need or want or pursue or fret over are wonderful distractions we create for ourselves to silence the nagging fear that we have that we will never be known truly and loved anymore. There's our fear. That sums it up right there. And so we run from love, or we turn to a very conditional human-looking love, because it is the way we allow fear to keep us in this prison of self-protection. Because the second we start really loving, oh, oh, we're going to pay for it. Deeply. C.S. Lewis understood this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. We dropped Isabella off at college last year, way out in Minnesota. And as I was walking away, I said, why didn't I just get a goldfish? Why did I ever have a kid? I had never felt such pain. And we were just dropping her home. I can't imagine parents that lose kids. It makes you just want to have goldfish. Although C.S. Lewis says, don't even have goldfish. See, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But know that in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Oh, it won't be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable and ear good deep. Fear. Fear. The great human prison. Or religious terms, hell. And this is the human story. See, this is what I love about the Hebrew understanding of the beginning of humanity and the Christian understanding of the beginning of humanity. If you're willing to read that story closely, Adam and Eve did something profoundly wrong. And then they became afraid. And then they did something worse. And that has been given to all of us. They ate the apple, and if they understood unconditional love, they would have went right looking for God. 
God, we just did something we weren't supposed to do. Instead, they ran away and they hid from God. God was looking for them. And do you see God's horror when he finds them? The first horror is that they're hiding and that they made fig leaves. Fear. And that is what we have been given. There is our sin. There is the disease we live under that God came to free us from. There's a... There's a... It's not wonderful. It's just a very good current. It's a very good example from a horrible current event right now going on. So this U.S. swimmer, Lochte, or however you say his name, so he goes out and does something stupid, dumb, and he's so afraid of people not loving him Whoever that is, the United States Olympic Committee, his fellow swimmers, all his fans, who he is so afraid of losing their love, he concocts this amazing story about what happened. Now, you can't lie and get away with it. Adam and Eve tried that. God's like the ultimate social media, right? He's everywhere. <laughs> and in our social media today, it's, lying is like one of the stupidest things you can do right now. It, you will be caught lying. You will be caught. It's impossible to get away with anything now. It was a great object lesson for my son, in fact. I said, son, you know, you're a boy, and your brain, frontal lobe, isn't going to be done to you at 25. You're going to make stupid, stupid decisions between now and 25. Don't make it worse. Just say, hey, I did it. Had this kid simply not been afraid and gone back and said, wow, you know what? I worked for four years to get to the height of my profession and it was over, and I lit off some steam, and I got wasted, and I got wasted in Rio. And if you think things that stay in Vegas is more safe, I guess Rio is even worse. So all you had to do was go back and say, oh, dumb, I got wasted, I did something really stupid, I'm so sorry. I think the majority of people that loved him would have forgiven him and loved him. Not now. His legacy is destroyed. And that would have been from humans. Imagine Adam and Eve, God we made a huge mistake. What would have been different? I don't know. We can ask God that when we get there, but I'll tell you what, we wouldn't be sitting here dealing with fear. But I believe we don't need to be afraid. We don't. I believe that need to be known completely and loved unconditionally can be met. And once we realize that, our lives will become new creations. That opening video... When friends are gone, I know my Savior's love. That's the kind of love we need to understand. Because at the end of the day, it's the only love there is. I believe this because this is the story of Scripture. This is the good news. We have Scripture as our witness. God loves us unconditionally. You know, one more quick side note. I know it's getting late, I'm sorry. But one more quick side note on this. You know one of the easiest ways to determine if theology is of God or of man? Is it fear-based? That's it. That's it's, True religion is never fear-based. Now, unfortunately, fear works. Great. Which is why so much religion turns to fear. Right? Keeps people in the seats. Keeps 
people giving money, keeps people putting on masks and pretending they're really good people and not having to really deal with who they are. Right? So fear works. I get it. Fear is going to put someone in the White House in November. Fear is going to... Fear, 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 fear. We function in fear. But the kingdom of God doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. True religion is not fear-based. Fear is the opposite of the gospel. There is no fear where there is perfect love. Jesus said that, not me. And God is a God of perfect love. If you're being told to believe in God or follow God for anything that's fear-based, read the Bible instead. Christianity is not fear-based. And we're going to look at this in Galatians. When we get there, Paul was ripping about them moving back to a fear-based religion from this free religion that Christ brought. I also believe this is true, that our lives will be changed if we can trust this unconditional love, because in my own personal experience, there have been a few times in my life when I have become aware of how much God loves me at my very worst, not my best, my worst. And that has changed me and is the only thing that I sense changing me whenever I am being changed. It's because I just know no matter how horrible I am, God loves me. When I finally became free to pray, when I was in the middle of sitting, is when I began to learn how much God loved me. And who's ever been told God doesn't listen to you when you're in sin? I hope you will stop believing that lie. That's when God is most attentive. Just like we're most attentive to our children when they're sick and in trouble. And finally, we have the witness of others throughout history who have truly lived it. Everybody knows Mother Teresa. No one can deny she lived a fearless life of loving others. And this is what she said. This is one of the great Mother Teresa quotes. God made the world to the delight of human beings. If we could see his goodness everywhere, his concern for us, his awareness of our needs, the phone call we've waited for, the ride we are offered, the letter in the mail, just the little things he does for us throughout the day, as we remember and notice his love for us, we just begin to fall in love with him because he is so busy with us, you just can't resist him. I love that. And, as, and because of her profound trust and understanding of his love for her, she lived loved and she summed up her life this way. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. How great the world would be if we all understood ourselves that way. We're the love letter God's trying to give to the world. Love letters aren't based on fear, are they? And another witness we have, one more, and we'll wrap up here. Thanks for being patient on this hot day. Comes from Catherine Siena. She prayed this amazing prayer. Father, you showed me that you made us for one reason only. In your light, you saw yourself compelled by the fire of your love to give us being in spite of the evil we would commit against you. Eternal Father. It was fire then that compelled you. Oh, unutterable love, even though you saw all the evils your creatures would commit against your infinite goodness, acted as if you did not see and set your eye only on the beauty of your creature with whom you have fallen in love 
like one drunk and crazy with love. You are the fire, nothing but a fire of love, crazy over what you have made. God is crazy. He's mad even with the divine chaos of his unconditional love for us. So perhaps today, even though we've been hearing it since we were little, perhaps today we will all begin to believe, to know, to trust that nothing, nothing at all, we have ever done, thought, or said, or nothing we will ever do, think, or say, will stop him from loving us nothing. And in that trust, might we find our fear subsiding and our transformation into altruistic lovers of others beginning. Amen. I don't know what time it is. What time is it? 11.05? 11.07. Alright. I was going to have the band play Holy Spirit again, but I think at 11.07, let's just close in prayer together. If you're ready, let's say Loving God, man.